Welcome to the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. When you get older, you get slower. Or do you? That's what we're going to find out on today's episode of The Movement. Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about how to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting with the feet first, because feet are your foundation, where we get rid of the mythology, the propaganda, and sometimes the lies about what it takes to walk, to run, to hike, to do yoga, to CrossFit, whatever it is you like to do enjoyably. I'm Stephen Sashin, the host for The Movement Movement Podcast. You may already know how to find us. Just go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's where you can find all the places that you can interact with us. And that's where you can find out where you can, of course, you know, share and subscribe and like and review and all those things that you know how to do. I'm not going to tell you all about that. We like to get started. Actually, before we get started, I want to introduce our guest and then we're going to do something that uh, I'm going to have him participate in. So our guest is Keith Bateman. And Keith, I'm not going to give an intro about who you are and what you do because I will never do it as well or as interestingly as you. So why don't you tell human beings, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? (laughs) Okay, well, I'm a a technique coach these days. I uh, transform people's technique. Usually uh, people who are... Things that they're doing that you're coaching technique on, as in... uh, No, basically a complete change, a a (laughs) a complete rebuild for most people. That's right, yes. I'm trying to change it to what it should be for any human uh, with two legs on the planet. If you notice that you know, all the top runners in the past all look the same, it's Steve Obetz, uh, Zola Bards, Mo Farah, they all basically have the same running action. And that's what we're heading for, the most efficient running action for each individual. Beautiful. And so for those of you listening or watching, you may notice that Keith has a uh, distinctive accent, clearly from New Jersey or New York, I'm guessing, correct? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm a bit of a mongrel. I was born in uh, in Watford, which is near England and uh, near London, uh, obviously in England. I was there for 21 years, then I was in Scotland for 20 years, and now I've been in Australia for 19. But I'm not moving from here. Well, I have a friend who was who was a Brit who, um, when he got to Australia for the first time, was going through customs, and they ask the standard questions. They say, you know, why are you here? He says, I'm here on business. Where are you going? He says, where they're going. And one of the questions is, you know, do you have a criminal record? And he says, oh shit, do you still need one to get in? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. So before we jump into just our conversation, one of the things that I like to do at the beginning of the podcast is a movement, since this is the movement movement. And this is going to be a really simple one for those of you who are listening and watching. One of the most important things that you can do is have arch strength. And one of the easiest ways of building arch strength is just by using them with a little isometric contraction that you can do anywhere. I do this when I'm cooking or doing the dishes or when I'm sitting at a desk. Usually I'm standing at a desk. Actually, I do it pretty often when I'm standing at a desk too. And it couldn't be easier. Just take your feet and just without trying to relax every toe you have as much as you can, except your big toe and press your big toe into the ground. And if you do this really strong, you will probably get a cramp in your arch. So don't do that. Back off a little bit, but just get that big toe pressed in and see if you can relax the other toes. So you're really just engaging the arch, isometric thing. Do it for like three to four seconds and then relax. And then do it again, just kind of a little press with your big toe into the ground to engage that arch. And really, it's the other way around. If you engage your arch, you are pressing your toe into the ground. So you want to think about it from that angle. And again, just relax and do this once or twice more. One more, just press that big toe into the ground and relax. Great way just to do a little isometric thing that you can do anywhere you go, everywhere you are to build some strength in your foot. So back to Keith for the win. 
I have to say, I haven't done that one before. It's very good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's really easy. And literally, you can do it pretty much everywhere if you're waiting. Yeah, very, very simple. Yes. We may adopt that one. We'll have to, um, yeah. <laughs> so at the top of the podcast, I said, you know, when you get uh, older, you get slower. And uh, I said, maybe not. And that is because, Keith, you are the author of a book called Older Yet Faster. And this is now the second version? Second, second edition? edition, yes. I have to say it's Heidi Jones, my, my wife as well. So we well, must... I was just about to say that. And sadly, Heidi is not joining us because she's not feeling well today. Otherwise, we'd have her in on this as well. So Heidi and Keith are responsible for this book, which is, it's not just for older athletes and not just about getting fast or not getting tell more about it, how you frame the book it's for people who are a year older this year than they were last year fascinating my mother for a while never got older year after year it was fascinating <laughs> she kind of hovered right around 39 yeah. for a while then she got 10 years older and she hovered at 49 for a while now she has alzheimer's so she thinks she's 30 again it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well i think i'm still 26 but still so the the subtitle of the book obviously i have a copy here you know, is uh, the secret to running fast and injury-free, which is obviously you've got to be injury-free first. And so Heidi has a big input here. Most people have weakened feet, as you will know, because they've had chunky shoes on and they're, they're just not using them. So the first thing we try to do is spend well, six weeks, if possible, on doing a foot program that Heidi used in her podiatry business. And that's all on video as well. So you really want to get your feet strong first if you haven't been walking around bare feet. And then we have a very simple set of lessons that I've put together over the last 10 or 12 years to basically really uh, re-educate the brain, make you think differently about how you run so that you can perform a different action. Uh, and once you start performing that different action, you build up the muscles to support it, which generally tend to be new muscles like calf muscles, glutes, the lower back and the core muscles. And from, it's a very quick change to change your action, basically. Yeah. And then it takes time for the muscles, tendons and ligaments to catch up. So you started with something that has been an argument that I've had with Irene Davis. Not really an argument, but Irene Davis is a researcher at Harvard. And, yes. and she's really one of the biggest promoters of research for about natural movement. And Irene, yeah. similarly, when you work with her, you start with a foot strengthening program for a number of weeks and then a bunch of walking before you get into running. And my, and I say argument with big air quotes. I mean, we just get along swimmingly and this is just a fun debate we have. I say that in lieu of doing foot strengthening, which is fine, but there's no amount of strengthening or walking that you can do that is actually the same as running. It's always helpful. No, it's very specific. That's right. Yeah. 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 Which is why yeah. You know, I say like take a really, really short run, like 20 seconds. And then when that feels comfortable, you can add it to there. And I, I think fundamentally, it's really the same idea just from a different yes. angle. And if you can do both, you know, so much the better. Yeah. Yeah. We work exactly the same. We, my clients really start off with maybe two kilometers at the most. They might have been running 20 or 30, but now they go down to two and then they wait and see what it's like the day after. If it's sore, they stop. They stop for two days, maybe. It's very slow at the beginning, but then it rapidly increases after they get to about five or six kilometers. Yeah, I literally, for some of these people, I literally, you know, 2K would be way too far. I mean, I'm talking like 200 meters. I want to see people, because there's some people who they've been overstriding and heel striking for so long. Oh, yes, Frankly, at the end of you know 200 meters, they know that something is awry, and they're going to have to wait till the next day to figure that one out, or a day after to figure that one out, yeah. which is not uncommon. I've also seen one. This one amazes me, and I'm curious what your thought is. I've been on tracks where I see someone training or warming up. Like this happened a couple of years ago, a guy in a pair of five fingers, and I'm watching him warm up really slowly, 
and his form looked great. It was nice and quiet on the track. Everything was nice. And then he started going up to speed and I could tell he was going up to speed because I could hear him just like slam, slap, slam, slap. I'm just curious yeah. what you've seen when you've got people who are coming to what you're doing in that same regard or if you've seen something similar. Well, it's basically the same for everybody, whether they're a runner. I've had some customers who are running 30 minutes for 10K already. And I do exactly the same thing with them all because the movements are the same. It's just a matter of refinement. So that slapping noise, I've never known it not to be somebody just touching with the heel first and then the foot slapping down. Yeah, That's really so they are lifting or trying to place their foot or that they're, they're somehow they are advancing their foot, lifting the knee or lifting the foot and trying to place it. Right. If you lift your foot, you're not lifting your body. The two work against each other. So, Wait, say more about that. Describe what if you, you mean lift when you your say foot, foot. You're basically a good runner wants to lift the body. They want the whole body to come off the ground. Got it. Two ways of doing that. One is to push off your toes, which would be an acceleration. Yeah. The other way is to try to land as near as possible to vertically aligned. And then your body becomes a spring and it springs you off the ground. So you get free energy almost off the ground. So a good runner will have a lot of the spring effects and very little of the push effect. Yep. You and I have actually gotten into uh, also not arguments as well, where I describe something like that, where you want to initiate your foot coming off the ground from your hip rather than your calf. In other words, you're not pushing off the ground with your foot. But think about the image that I like to give us. Imagine that you stepped on a bee. You wouldn't want to get off the bee by pushing down harder with your foot because that would drive the stinger further in. You want to lift your foot off the ground. It's almost a reflexive thing for getting Hmm. off the ground, which if you're a good spring, that actually has an effect. That's the only place where we don't totally agree because uh, we deliberately say to people, do not lift your feet at all. Because a good runner doesn't lift their feet in the same way as they don't engage their core or engage their glutes. They're not actually thinking about it. What's happening is they're getting a natural bounce off the ground and the hips go off the ground and the feet follow. Okay, but if you lift your foot behind you, your head goes forward, so you lose that springy position, become more bent. If you lift your foot in front of you, then you sit back and you lose that beautiful upright position. We find with thousands of clients that just something simple like leave your foot on the ground a bit longer and go past it and it will come off the ground on its own, do its own thing. I think if we looked at people who are doing what each of us is describing, it would look not only look the same, but an EMG would show that the muscle activation is the same. It's just a difference. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's very difficult to be totally precise and let everybody interpret what you're saying in the same way. (laughs) Somebody asked me, they said, you know, can you make an app where it just gives us the right cue? I went, no. Sometimes, you know, you give the same cue to someone on day one, it has no meaning. And on day two, it's the perfect cue. Yeah. So what we've done actually just, we've got lessons one, two, and three, which start you moving. Lesson four is a separate drill. I'll come to that in a minute. That's to get everything moving. Uh, lesson five is how to start a run. So it's actually lessons one, two, and three together. And you start moving. And there are a couple of cues in there that you can try. One of them is just a 360-degree spin. And if you do that successfully, and you come out of it, you're running, you're near vertical when you land and you're aligned when you take off. So that's a good one. Oh, you mean just jump up and rotate 360? And yeah, yeah, don't even yeah. jump up. Just run along and don't slow down. Just keep your momentum going. It's obviously a slow speed and you just do a spin. Ah, brilliant. And then a four or five paces after that and then a spin the other way. If you can't do it smoothly, it means you're throwing your leg or something like an ice skater out in front of you. So it's a very simple self-check. And do you have videos of this one? 
Uh, yes, all on video. Everything's on video. Yep. Yeah, because people yep. are definitely going to want to see that. And I'm sure that you discover that people, even people who can do it, they'll spin better one way than the other. Uh, everybody does. Yes, that's right. So you, you have to alternate. If you're doing a series of them, you alternate it so you don't get dizzy. Um, <laughs> well, there's the dizzy thing, but I always find it really funny watching just the difference between doing something one way versus the other. I did something, I think, on the, maybe on the podcast last week, I can't remember, where it was just like cross your arms and then cross yeah. the other way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I've gotten to the point where I can't remember which one is the way that I normally do it, but it, it, took, it took quite a while for that. Yeah, on that note, we say in the book, asymmetry is normal. So, you know, everybody has different length, legs, different, different size, hands, feet. It's all, you know, so let's not try to make it perfect. Let's just a, go with what we've got. I have a sign that I wrote that, I, that, I kept, that I've kept on my bulletin board now for probably 35 years. It says distrust symmetry. Yes, very good. See, we do think uh, we think very much alike. Just one thing I missed out there. Then we've gone to uh, we've got Heidi's strengthening program. We've actually got a rehab program as well for people who come injured or do get injured. We know we, you can, if you do too much, get as you know calf muscle problems or even tendon problems. But the as far as the, the technique is concerned, and going back to your point about different things work for different people, we've got about ten different tricks on the run tricks. You only need one of them. But we get people to try them all and see right. which one works best. Yeah, so yeah. it's a matter of to give it a go. If that one works, great, stick with it. That's all you need. Uh, so, yeah, on, the, on your point about different things work for different people. Different times or the same. Or different times, yeah. yeah. Same person, different, yeah. And can you give a couple examples of what those are? Okay, well, the first one we call the pendulum. Okay? And it's basically, hopefully done barefoot. While you're running along, uh, you deliberately lean back. You feel the pressure on the heel. You want to maintain some speed when you do that. You deliberately tilt the body forward so that you feel the pressure on the forefoot and you will accelerate. And then you very gradually, only gradually come to find the middle balance position. Then you repeat it. And this time you lean back a little bit less than before and a little bit less forwards than before and upright. And you keep repeating it until the person running next to you can hardly see you moving. And all you're feeling is the pressure towards the heel, towards the ball of the foot, and then on both. Nice. So the focus of the book is to get a balanced landing. That mm-hmm. sounds a bit vague, but if your foot is pressing on the ground behind you, you are accelerating. Or you could possibly be falling over, but you'll, you'll be accelerating. Yeah. If your foot's pressing on the ground in front of you, which it has to to some degree, breaks then you are braking. And what you're looking for at constant speed running is in the, as near as possible in the middle. We're not being prescriptive exactly what angle it is. It's right. feel, not formula. There's a guy, uh, Chris Powers, I think he's at USC or UCLA. I can't remember, somewhere in Southern California. He's got a whole idea about the body leaning forward just a little bit so you're getting a little bit of a hip angle, which engages the glutes a little bit more. But that's sort of independent. It makes a small difference. Sometimes I see people who are running. It's interesting what you're saying because actually I'll give a better example or one that, that I think is more relevant. There's times where I'm working with people where they're way over striding. They're just putting on the brakes with every step and they just can't feel that. And one thing I'll do with them is I'll have them stand upright and I put my hands on their shoulders yes. and into my hands. And then I'll run yeah. backwards as they're running forwards where, you know, their feet can't catch up with them. And then at some point yes. I just get out of the way and they, they yeah. stumble for a bit because that, what you're describing is something I love of just exaggerating a little bit. So you get the feedback. So you know what you're doing. Because exactly. We, it's all about feel. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, because yeah. we're so used to what we're doing, it feels normal. And like a little change will feel, you know, like you're making a big change when you're probably not even getting where you need to go yet. 
That's right. Heidi states in her section for podiatrists about, uh, I think she's got a podiatry section at the back of the book, which is (laughs) controversial, of course. But she says about that your perception of upright is different if you wear shoes, if you wore shoes. What you think isn't. I don't know if I've told you about this. I have this. I did undergraduate research on cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition. Ah, right. Yes. In, in in part from that, I developed this idea. I like to say you know, the simplest instructions for running barefoot is find a nice, smooth, hard surface. Take off your shoes. Go for a very short run. And if it hurts, do something different to having a good time. Some people, yes. their brain map is so de-differentiated. Their brain just literally doesn't know they have feet at the end of their legs for all practical purposes because they, yeah. haven't, they haven't been giving the brain stimulation for so long. They can't tell if it hurts. Some people, they can tell if it hurts, but they have, like you were describing, bad proprioceptive skills. They think vertical is something different mm. than it is. And they need like video feedback because they just won't believe you until you show them what reality is versus the way they think it is because they're so used to it. And then the next group of people, they have good proprioceptive skills. They just need a good cue to kind of shorten the learning cycle. And then the last group, they're naturals. And the problem they have is they have so much fun that they get tired because they do too much and revert to one of those previous levels. Mm. So you, you made me think of a question that I'm really curious about. I'm going to Europe next week, and there's a really interesting difference between Europe and America. In America, people will walk up to me and go, oh, is this about barefoot or minimalist with a kind of scowl on their face? Because they have the idea that there's something inherently wrong with it. In Europe, they walk up the other way around. It's like, oh my God, are your shoes minimalist or barefoot? Because they believe in this idea of natural movement. Where does Australia fit into that spectrum? Yeah, probably somewhere between the two, I suggest. When I walk around here, we live by the beach, but when I walk around here with shoes on, people stop me in the street and say, oh, you've got shoes on today. I have the same. <laughs> every yeah. time, every time. And I'm only 800 meters, 800 yards from the, from the shops. I, uh, I had that in a Costco where they stopped me and said, well, is everything okay? I said, why? They said, you're wearing shoes. I'm normally yeah. in you know, restaurants yeah. and gas stations and everywhere barefoot. But um, yeah, it, it, it certainly people, it makes people think. I mean, if I go and do one of the local, we have park runs here. I know you have a few now in America, but the yeah. 5K uh, weekly ones. A lot of people are out running, uh, but you turn up and you don't put your shoes on. I did that when I was in uh, Swansea in, in Wales with Heidi last year, the year before. And Heidi was sitting somewhere back in the field in the middle there. And I was out the front and I was doing some strides and that. And somebody said, you see that gray-haired, white-haired guy out the front with no shoes on? Crazy, crazy. Well, I ran that one in 1712, and uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so it's one of the lines I have in the in the video I made. There was shit runners say two barefoot runners, and so it's the guy saying, "Hey, you can't really run like that." Hey, wait, hey, wait, wait, wait up! Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Yes, that's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I even get it just warming up on the track. So I'm a sprinter. So all my warm-ups are barefoot and pretty much anything up to like, well, if I'm on the infield, I can go full speed barefoot. On a Mondo's track surface, I can go anything up to about 60% of full speed. And people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm going, but I'm doing it. I mean, argue with reality that's right in front of your face. You would say that the, the general perception just among normal human beings is not either necessarily very pro or very anti. They don't come in with some big preconception. Oh, oh, some people do. Some people too. Um, we've got a friend who was in orthotics for 35 years and he's, now we've rebuilt him because he's been injured for decades. <laughs> of course. And we've rebuilt him and Heidi's been really good at that too. It's taken three years. He is running like a professional 800 meter, 1500 meter runner. He yes. is looking superb. He's been very cautious at the moment, but once he gets back, you know, racing, he's, I don't know, he's going to be around about 32 for 10K maybe. Nice. You know? 
Nice. Really good. But his coach or his previous coach phoned him up and said, oh, don't start that bloody stupid barefoot running. That won't help you at all, which fortunately ignored that. What's so ironic about this is, and I know Australia and New Zealand are two different countries, but of course, Arthur Lydiard, one of the most famous running coaches of all time, most successful coaches of all time, he had people running mostly barefoot or in shoes that he made that were super thin-soled shoes. They were actually a lot like ours, which is why we have a lot of Lydiard runners who like what we're doing. But I mean, you know, it's incredible that that there was that influence and people just, it's seemingly gone from their minds. They just have no memory of of what he did, what the impact was. Yeah, that's right. I do all mine barefoot or in the thinnest of thin shoes. Yeah. You alluded to something a minute ago that I'd love for you to say more about, which is just how Heidi, who's a podiatrist, how what you guys are doing is received by the podiatry community. I'd love for you to say more. Well, we don't really know because they tend to ignore. I think Heidi did send a book to um, somebody at one of the local universities who lectures there, and then she met her later on. She said, oh, I gave that to my daughter to read. And uh, she said it was quite controversial. That was it. So Heidi's just keeping out of it, basically. She does quite a lot. She has to have professional development points, and she does a lot now on um, video sessions, podcasts, that thing. And some of them are just absolute rubbish. There's the occasional one from a surgeon or somebody who's that's really interesting. But as far as running concerns, it's just ridiculous what's being taught. Well, all the people that I've ever heard from that are medical professionals who come down against natural movement have never tried it. Yes, it's absolutely. It's as simple as that. I was at a conference very early on. This is like nine years ago. And there was a bunch of medical people saying, well, you know, if you're going to make the transition, it's going to take you years till you could possibly do anything. And, uh, and then it's going to be, and you you definitely want to stay on grass. You don't want to get on concrete. I said, how many people other than me have run at least a mile barefoot on concrete and no other hands went up? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know yours would. Yeah. And it was incredible. Like, you know, they were all just making up these theories based on zero experience whatsoever. In fact, the whole thing of it's going to take you years till you can do it, that cracked me up because they literally didn't know anyone who had spent years trying. The whole idea was so brand new that they had a set of zero for that idea. So, yeah. which occurs to me, I never thought to ask this screamingly obvious question. How did you get into the whole natural barefoot thing? I was training with a very good squad in 2003 with my coach, Sean Williams, and it was his elite squad. And actually three of the members that were, have been in the Olympics since. It was a really good running squad. And a lot of them, probably 50% or maybe even more, didn't have the shoes on on the grass training. And so I tried that and I, I've just carried on from there. And, and now I, if I go out for a run around town now, I don't have shoes on. I'll do 10K. The first 10K of my Sunday run, I'll go out barefoot and then I'll, um, I'll join some others for maybe 8 or 10K on the grass at the end. How many times have you met someone who says they're a barefoot runner and when you ask, it, it turns out they've never had their bare feet on the ground? Uh, no, I don't, don't actually. Well, uh, you mean wearing minimalist shoes? That yeah, yeah, happens. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, obviously, I'm not against minimalist footwear, but I always say to people, it's not the same. I mean, get your feet on the ground. It's a yeah. whole, it's a wonderful experience. And footwear is for when that's just not the appropriate thing to do for whatever reason that may be. Exactly right. I wish I, I coached for a local school here. I'm the, technically the head coach for the cross country team and, and also for the middle distance. I wish I could get them to have their shoes off. It's a nightmare. I just can't do it. How um, come? They won't. Safety issue. What safety issues? Yeah, I know, I know, but I just 
the interesting thing though is I'm trying to get the boys to actually wear some cross country spikeless cross country or something like that. I try right. all before the season starts. I try to get this information out to get them, and they go to the local athlete's foot and buy something that's you know about 15 millimeters thick, and, and that's the finish they had. But this last week, actually, I've had three parents speak to me and say, oh, those flat shoes you've got James or whatever into, it's fixed all these problems. Yeah. I said, well, there you go. One of the fathers, he said, I was really skeptical about what you were saying, but I've got a pair of zeros now, and they're great. So I'm actually, through the boys, I'm getting through. But the big problem is I'll say something to the boys, and they'll relay it to the parents, and the parents will just dismiss it and go to their podiatrist who gives them orthotics or whatever. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, Lena's niece was a cross-country runner in high school and was just wearing our sandals. And she had to sign like all this paperwork that she was absolving them of any responsibility if she got injured. And of course, she had no problems and everyone else was getting injured. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've had officials stop me at the start of cross-country. Yeah, mind out there are roots, tree roots there, you know, on the course. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I was in uh, I was in a Whole Foods barefoot, and they said you can't be in here barefoot. I said why? They said it's dangerous. I said how? They said well, you could step on something. I said you know I could actually look before I step on things, right? And they they said oh, I said well, you let dogs in here. Why can the dogs be in here? Aren't you worried about them stepping on something? That was very confusing to them. <laughs> So I want to back up to older yet faster because so yes, yes. Your, your implication was that it's yes. not just for old people. So I'd love for you to talk about just the differences in what you're seeing mm-hmm. with let's call them younger people versus older people and how you just what you notice. And, and actually, if you want to say just something about what your experience has been as an older athlete, and I, I'm kind of thinking about, I don't want to put this when I go to master's track meets, there's a demonstrable difference between how much less the distance runners have gotten slower versus these sprinters. I'm at a master's track meet, or actually the senior games, and a bunch of the 60-year-old guys are saying to me, man, when you become 60, it just falls off a cliff. And the 80-year-old guys walked up and they went, you don't know what you're talking about. Just wait. <laughs> so sprinting is a whole different thing than yeah. running. But, but I'd love for you to talk about just yeah. what you're doing. Obviously, is not just applicable to people who are over some particular age, but I'm curious about what you see for people who do get older, whatever that age is, or older than whatever that age is. Right. Well, it's obviously all about progress, the individual's progress. But we do see some, we get results from everybody. Basically, if you're more efficient, you're going to go faster with the same effort. It takes longer for the muscles, tendons and ligaments to adapt with older people. Mm. That's the that's the main thing. Right. But the increases in speed, you know, are, are, can be phenomenal. In my case, I went when I was 47, 48, my best. 10k time was 36 and a half and that was from when I was 40 I think and then but by the time 55 it was 3150 and that was basically technique change you know and and all my times all all except for the marathon which I didn't really run were um, massively improved and it's just the technique change and then being able to train more because you're not getting injured and building up the strength in the right places you don't have to have a target time. Mm. You don't have to have a target time. All you have to know is that if you get your technique right, your body will build strong with that technique in the right places and you will go faster. How much faster you go, well, yeah. that, that depends on a number of factors. 
It's funny. You reminded me of all these things. When I was at the World Masters Track and Field Championships, this is about 10 years ago or so in Finland. I hung out with all the guys who were 85 plus and actually just 80 plus. And because there was very few that were 85 plus, they were very entertaining. But all the 80 plus guys, I said, how much of what you're doing is nature versus nurture? And they all had the exact same answer. They said, the fact that I'm here is all genetic, but the fact that I'm winning is all training. Right. Yep. How do you respond to people when they ask you, how long is it going to take for me to adapt or learn or make this transition? Well, number one, it will take as long as it takes. But the change in your running action is almost immediate, quite a big change, immediate. Then it's impossible to refine it immediately. It'll be a gradual process while your muscles, tendons, and ligaments build up. So if you take the gluteus medius, which is usually weak in most people, you're not going to be able to hold yourself up for long if you're weak there and hold the form. So you have to get as near as possible to good form. Wait till your muscles build up. Then you'll be able to do it longer so that you get better at it, so you get stronger. So that becomes a vicious circle. And, and, and that's why well, that's a virtuous circle. towards the end of transition, you're making more rapid progress. A vicious circle, yes. It's a virtuous circle. <laughs> Irene Davis does an event with Brian Heiderscheidt and the guy that I mentioned earlier, whose name just fell completely out of my head. God, that's a good one. Powers. I just meant Chris Powers. Wow. And what was interesting, they each have different ideas about what causes running injuries and what you want to do to address them. But they all notice that the biggest, most common things is weakness in the glute medius. Yes. Uh, we don't think that is weak glutes or weak claws are the cause of the injury. I think the cause of the injury is the action you're making and the glutes and the core don't get strong because you're not yeah. landing in the right position. I think they would ultimately agree. I think the slight difference is sort of like the um, difference in opinion about whether you should do strengthening first or just make the running change first and let the strengthening happen. It was a sort of similar thing from them. So some of them were really suggesting aggressively or not aggressively, actively working on glute medius and glute maximus strengthening while you're making these form changes. Some were doing the form changes first, which would activate the glutes and then let that just kind of take over. Yeah. Heidi is very much into somebody who's been, had a big heel strike over strike, for instance, is, is going to have big quads and very weak glutes, the gluteus yeah. medius anyway. So she has um, an exercise in the book for building up the, the glute strength because if you, if you can't hold yourself up, your femur's rotating inwards and you're going to get injured. So there has to be a certain strength. Yeah, we're sort of, I'm on the same wavelength with both of those. You have to have a certain strength to start. Yep. But then if you're not doing too much, you're going to build it up as you go. There's nothing like the running action to be strong for the running action. Agreed. What's the exercise that she recommends? She calls it quarter knee squat. A what? So you're actually just dropping down your hips about seven, uh, seven centimeters, about, about this much. Sorry, I don't know what that is in inches. Seven um, centimeters. Seven centimeter so it's basically three. standing on one leg. Your torso is upright and you are just putting your knee over your middle toe down and up again. And if you don't feel your gluteus medius working, you're probably bending over too much. So you just let your body tilt backwards a bit until you feel it working. And she does sets of 30 of those, I think. So that's the nearest that we can get to the running action. That's why we do that. We don't squat all the way down to, it's just the sort of distance you get when you're getting a rebound when you're running. 
I've been reading a lot lately about strength training for running and how much does or doesn't transfer to actual running. So like you were saying, squats or deadlifts and how that transfers and how much general strength and conditioning can apply. It's tricky because some of the, like you were saying, there's no substitute for running or if you're walking or hiking, whatever it is, the actual action that you're doing is going to be the thing that's going to be the best for you. And general strength and conditioning can be useful if, if you really need that. But by and large, you know, just doing it and doing it injury-free and safely is going to be your best bang for the buck. Yeah, we definitely agree on that. I feel that um, all this strength work that people do is for people who aren't running technically well and they're Mm. preventing injury because of um, they're they're stronger and uh, supporting supporting the parts of their body with strength, the parts that are getting overused. So I think it's, yes, it does prevent injury, but you don't need it if you're running well. So I'm going to see how you respond to some of these other things that I hear on a daily basis. When people say, I need arch support, what do you say? That'll make your feet weak. <laughs> I wish this wasn't just like talking to a mirror, but it is. And when, when people say, I have high arches or flat feet, what do you say? It doesn't matter. Africa, a lot of Africans, Asians have flat feet. It's not a problem. Flat feet, fine. Weak feet are bad. Okay, but that's for flat feet. What do you say when people say I have high arches? High arches, I don't think that's generally a problem. Is it a problem with anyone? The thing that I hear from people when they talk about high arches is usually the, the arch is just a little stiff or they think they need support because I don't know why. I, I, my answer is the same. For flat feet, I used to have flat feet till I started doing this. Yes. It's about strength. And for people with high arches, I'll, I'll often say you might need to work on a little flexibility, just kind of a little mobility because you haven't been using them or they're hypertonic. So they're just yeah. a, a little just continually flexing in ways they don't have to but the same thing it's you know let them move naturally yeah let them get stronger yeah that's probably a question for Heidi yeah oh yeah so let me do this fun thing um tell people where they can get a copy of the book obviously and how they can find out more about how they can do what you're doing and even more I guess the better question is what recommendations you have or what how would you talk to people who obviously aren't going to come in contact with you personally or you know they don't happen to live in Australia for some strange reason uh, well, the book is, uh, most of our sales are the UK and America, the book. Oh. But if you go to our website, which is olderyetfaster.com, then you'll see all the places where you can buy the book. Most people get it through Amazon. We've got a color edition. We've got one which is the standard black and white in, internal pages. And yep. we have the electronic versions as well. But if you go to amazon.com, if you're in America or wherever you are, that's fine. If you can't get a copy, then you'll see on the website, we've got some printed in India and they post them and that's they're actually a bit cheaper in India. And, and so with the postage, it's probably about the same price. And next week we'll have Booktopia, Beyond Booktopia as well, worldwide. So um, we're, we're getting out there. For people who think that, you know, if they're going to make these changes and adapt to natural form, that they need a coach, they need someone local, they need, you know, what, what do you say? about the best way for someone to learn how to do this when they're dealing with books and videos, et cetera, and not seeing you or someone personal? Okay. Well, we, we have started a very active Facebook group, uh, of which true. you're a member, I believe. Yeah. yeah and it is So that's, um, if you just go to Facebook and look up Oldie Yet Faster, you'll find the group, come and join. There are many, many people there who have been or going through the system. I think there's 550 members at the moment. Two of the contributors, James in uh, the UK, has actually started coaching some friends and doing a fantastic job. So we've been communicating on that. And uh, Sam, who works at Google, has been putting on some sessions for Google employees. Oh, cool. And again, we've been, uh, you know, we've been talking about those before. So that's sort of unofficial coaching, but 
people on the forum put up videos of where they're at. And Heidi and I really have to do nothing because the people on the forum have learned so well, they come up with all the, all the right answers. And, you know, that's we a, help, people, help people that way. It's fantastic. A, yeah, that's a very yeah. satisfying thing when, when you go yeah. to answer the question and you see that someone beat you to it. Yeah, a brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I did last week was I asked people if they wanted to be uh, their icons and their name placed on a map where they live. Oh, fun. So we've just done that. Uh, so far, there are about 70 members. Poor progression in India is 1,770 kilometers from the nearest person who's <laughs> on another continent. But um, yeah, but there are some uh, some people in around New York who are quite, you know, who've, who've met up because of that. And we're trying to get little groups going of people so they can work together. Oh, that's um, great. Which is, which is good. We do have a little group here that we run in Sydney, in Australia, but um, not many people can come across for that. We are going to have a gathering next year, though. We are putting... I was just going to ask that. Yes, we've decided we just set aside two weeks next March, I think it is, and said, anybody wants to come, come, and we'll, we'll just run together and talk. No, that's Coffee great. Coffee and swim awesome. in the ocean, things like that. Is there anything that, uh, that we didn't chat about that you want to chat about? Yeah, well, the difficulty is we're in agreement on just about everything. <laughs> I think that's a fine thing. I think it's important. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Look, if somebody wants to come in and totally disagree with me, I have no problem with that as well. Yeah, but I think too. it's important for people to hear the same or similar messages from different people in different angles because yeah. to a certain extent, you know, we are fighting. I, right before we started this, I made a little video because um, just to remind myself of something that I want to say, and it goes like this, I, I say, do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day? And if not, you're not alone. And it's probably because Big Shoe has been lying to you about what makes comfortable footwear and healthy, strong, happy feet. And I know that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but you know, yes. when you hear things like this, you find yourself going, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, using your feet is better than not using your feet, which flies in the face of what people have been telling you for decades. And so I yeah. think hearing it from different angles and with slightly different even accents is important because yes. otherwise it seems like, you know, I'm the only crazy person out there. It takes a certain critical mass until what we're talking about really takes hold. And we thought it was going to happen after you know things got popular in 2009, 2010. But there was a lot of deliberate efforts on the part of big shoe companies to make that not happen. So we're yes. having, you know having this conversation is important, whether it's people agreeing with each other or disagreeing with each other. Because frankly, when I'm talking to someone who disagrees with me, the other person sounds insane. Because I say things like using your feet is better than not using your feet. And they say, everybody needs arch support. It's like, what did people do prior to arch support coming about in the late 60s? Oh, yeah. well, what happens in third world countries where they don't have arch support? How come they don't have problems? Oh, uh, you know, so I think all of that's really important. Yes, yeah, definitely. I think you'd make a good barrister, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm really glad that I'm not. I think it would probably bring out the worst aspects of my personality. So, um, <laughs> on that note, that Heidi's patients come in very skeptical. Um, you know, they've, they've spent thousands on orthotics and they come in and, and they're uncomfortable. And Heidi suggests, yeah. let's get rid of those and just do one session and yeah. do my program. You can have it on video and you just do that, and keep in touch, and that's all you're going to have to do. But they say, Oh, that sounds really sensible. That's logical. Yes. Right. You know, when, once she explains it to them and she does it very well, yeah, that, that's very sensible. So, you know. This is the thing that amazes me. And I say this with a genuine kind of admiration as a marketer, that when I see what shoe companies have done in the last 50 years, 
by convincing people of things that are just frankly complete bullshit. It's utterly amazing. And what we're doing now is trying to just wake people up to what they already knew. I mean, Irene Davis, again, points it out really well. She says, we know that humans have been making footwear for 10,000 years because that's the oldest piece of footwear we found. Mm-hmm. In the first 9,950 of those years, it was just as little as you could get away with to give you some protection and something to hold that on your foot. And mm-hmm. then it changed. And when people hear that, it's like, hey, wait a minute. So everything we're saying is logical. It does make sense. One of the things I like to point out is you know, when you put padding under your heel, you end up landing on your heel, not because you necessarily want to use the padding, but because you end up hitting it. It just lands on the ground first before you have a chance because it gets in the way and your heel is a ball. And so a ball is unstable. So then they added motion control. When you do that slapping thing that we talked about at the beginning of the call, when you land on your heel and your foot slaps down, your arch is in a place where it's weak when it needs to be strong. So then arch support, so you don't need to use it. I mean, everything that we know about modern footwear was developed after the problem that it created. I would think it's normal because everyone does it that way because the footwear industry is just a bunch of copycats. Whatever and, and generation. Does. Right. Now that, we're, now that we're second two generations in, it's parents teaching their children instead of the companies have to do it. They're doing the work for the shoe companies. I'm hoping that this doesn't take longer than another generation until it changes because I'd like to live to see it. And yeah. But it, I don't think it needs to take that long with what's happening with social media, what we're all doing. I think that it can change much faster because, again, we're not trying to convince people of something that's bullshit. We're just reminding them of what they already knew. So yeah. I'm hoping that this whole idea of making natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is happens way, way faster. And frankly, what we're trying to do as a company is, first of all, support other companies and people that are doing this. And secondly, get the resources that we need to tell this story on a much bigger scale because that's yeah. what it's going to take. You know, I'm looking forward to it. It gets me very excited and antsy. If you see Irene Davis, uh, by the way, she has a copy of our book. I don't know if she's read it yet, but Heidi sent her a copy because she admires what she does. I don't know if she's read it, but if you see her. We don't have plans in the immediate future. There are a couple of events that we're doing coming up where we'll definitely bump into each other. And so I will definitely mention that. And, yeah. and by the way, it, it is a wonderful book. I have a stack of books about you know this high. It's been really fun, actually. Um, so you and Mark Cucuzella has his book, Run for Your Life. And yeah. Uh, And there are a couple of others that have come out recently that people have sent me. And there's actually on sprinting training, there's a great book. It's a very expensive book from Joel Smith. And so there's one or two that I'm I'm forgetting right now. It's making me crazy. Again, I can't do names any longer. I don't know what's wrong with that. And I find it very disturbing when the name pops into my head when I'm not paying attention. It's like everyone says, well, it's just your, your subconscious working on it. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's just parse that. There's a part of me that's working behind the scenes and I should just be okay with that. That's like freaky. But regardless... Oh, um, John Beverly, his book as well. So there's, you know, there's a lot of people who are starting to have these conversations. And I, unfortunately, I can't get through all the books as quickly as I want to. But I, so I just go to the parts that I like, and I adore uh, all the parts that I've gotten through on yours. I've just adored, yeah. which is why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Oh, great! Well, it took us four years of very, very hard work to get it into the form it is, and we used a number of editors. Well, I had somebody who who worked with me, who's extremely pedantic. I was editing in a cafe one day and he lived in the same block as me and he walked in and said, oh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing a book. And he pointed to an A4 sheet of paper and said, oh, there are two U's in that word. I said, what? (laughs) Vastus medius oblicus. And uh, he spotted that from a distance. Nice. And so I said, come and help. So for the next three years, we spent two or three days a week sitting three or four hours at a time getting the detail of it right. And then we put it to an editor who rearranged it for us and we did the same again. And then we put it to another editor 
a different uh, first one was a runner and the second one was a government type scientific editor oh, so it's gone through i think about twenty thousand dollars worth of editing as well as their own work so yes and and also after the first edition we kept in touch with readers and we we saw the problems and the misinterpretations that they made yep. Yep. things they did wrong and each time we made a note of that and we built it in so that hopefully people wouldn't make the same thing again. Yeah, there's nothing more fun than putting out something like a book or a video and then a couple of years later hearing someone claiming to be quoting you and saying the exact opposite of what you believe. That's exactly right. And we, we tried to get, out, uh, get, get that message out in the book. And we still have to now even people say things and we say, be careful. That's not really what we yeah. meant. Don't focus on this. But we've got, I think, 15 or 16 Amazon reviews, mm. and they're all five-star, except for one, except for one three-star, but we're going to ignore that one because I think it's very vague. So well, we know we're doing the right thing. Uh, no, it, it's great. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, obviously. The, the other one that I love is, is that you'll have multiple professional editors go through something, and there will still be a typo or a, you know, something that happens, and people act like you know, you're an idiot when that happens. Like, no, I don't think you get it, man. We had a lot of smart people look at this. This just happens. I'm going to put my head on a block and say there are no errors in the book now. Wow. That is balls. No typos. No like typos at all. What gets me is on our website when someone emails me and says, hey, I found a typo and it's a page that's eight years old. It's like, how did no one tell me this before? Either they yes. didn't notice or they just didn't tell me. But That's I, right. Yep. And, and they're all apologetic. It's like, no, I'm thrilled. I don't have a problem being wrong. I just want to correct it. So yeah. uh, I, I always appreciate that. And, yeah. and I also know that my personality, I try to get things out of my head quickly. And while we have multiple people in the office who will proofread things. I know, I know. We, we, went, uh, we went through all this process, thought it was 100%. And then Heidi's mother picked the book up <laughs> on page 72. She said, there's a word missing there. And then even she didn't spot. And then it was about six months later that there's one little one little spending mistake on the back cover with an, an eye missing out of availability or something. <laughs> but we've corrected those two now, and that's the joy of print on demand. You can actually update. So um, Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, Keith, two things. First of all, thank you very much. For thank human you. beings, I hope you go check out alteryetfaster.com and check out the book and check out all the videos. And we're, of course, dying to hear what you experienced. Please say hello to Heidi for me and let her I know. I will do that we will have this probably exact same conversation, but with her, because she has her own perspective from the podiatry standpoint, which I'm really looking forward to sharing with people because- Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll arrange that. Well, and it's another thing, you know, people, people will say to me, well, where's the science behind what you're doing? It's like, whoa, whoa, back up. We're not the intervention. The intervention is footwear companies. Ask them for the science for what they're doing. It doesn't exist. And that's the one where they should. I had a guy, in fact, it occurs to me when I was on this panel discussion with the American College of Sports Medicine, the guy from Adidas at one point says, you know, we want to prove that we're reducing injury and improving performance. But to do a study that demonstrates that would take a long time and be very expensive and have a lot of confounding factors. And all I could think goes, dude, if you could make a shoe that's scientifically demonstrably better than the guy sitting next to you, that's worth billions of dollars a year. And you're telling me you're not doing it because it's difficult? Okay, good answer. So yeah. anyway, so yes, we'll, we will continue all of this. And for people listening and watching, do let us know what you experience. And we'd love to hear your feedback. On that note, make sure you go to jointhemovementmovement.com and find out all the places you can experience and interact with what we're doing on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you have any questions, please send them to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. 
Or of course, you can post them in comments to everything we're doing here. If there's anyone that you want to be on this show or you want to be on, then let us know about that as well. I know there's other things that I like to say other than, oh, obviously the simple thing, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe because this is a movement. When we say the movement movement, it's because it's obviously about natural movement, but it's about building this community of people who understand this and share this with other people. So we can create that groundswell, that critical mass where this just becomes the obvious thing and what people have been doing for 50 years looks completely absurd and just like we are all delusional for some short period of time. And on that note, Keith, once again, thank you and everybody else. Live life feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashin. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.